you love it? Asking yourself, like, do you love it? Because if the, if the hard work you actually enjoy, then you have drive to get it done and to and to continue the hustle, which is was your question, right? Like, how do you continue the hustle? Do you love it? And if you're not loving it, why are you doing it? Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survived the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Lutheran. I am the producer of the podcast. And thank you so much for joining us with our Act 2 discussion with Alyssa Carter. Uh, It's going to be a great discussion. We're going to dive more into her, how she survives uh, Hollywood and living in Los Angeles, how she gets away, and also her approach to directing. So it's going to be a really great discussion. Uh, Just a couple of housekeeping uh, things coming up with the podcast. Uh, Some of you may recall in our first week of the podcast, we held a listener contest uh, for the first, uh, you know, we Every, we asked everyone to submit a review for us on iTunes, and we took all of those names and we pulled them out of a hat. And the person who won was uh, actually a theater company, Seditious Apostate Theater Company. Uh, they're based here in Los Angeles, and we are featuring them on our homepage of our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. So please check out this amazing theater company. They've got a lot of great work going on right now, a lot of new and original work. So it's really exciting. And also, please remember, if uh, you haven't visited our iTunes page in a while or you've been listening to a few episodes and are wondering how can you help, leave us a review. Uh, that That's really going to help us uh, reach more people, actually. The more reviews we get, uh, the higher up we move up in the charts. And if there's any thoughts that you might have for the podcast of ways that we can improve or ideas of other kinds of guests that we could have on the podcast, just shoot us an email, hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. We would greatly appreciate your insight into what you're loving and what could be improved on the podcast. Um, Things going on on my end this weekend, I actually get to record an audition that I've never done before. Uh, This, they're it's face, it's face capture uh, for a video game. So what that means is I'm going to be filming myself making a series of facial expressions conveying certain emotions like anger, happiness, and things like that. And it's going to be, I've never done this kind of audition before, but I'm really, really excited. Uh, video games have obviously evolved so much that they're their own cinematic experience in a way. So I'm just excited to kind of tackle this new type of audition before if you've ever like had an audition for a video game whether that's voiceover or you know motion capture and you have a fun story about that just shoot us your story hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com but enough about me let's dive into part two of our discussion with Alyssa carter i get to join Alyssa and daniel to discuss directing and working with actors both seasoned as well as green we discuss how each of us approach directing and how actors should look at their role on set We also discuss how Alyssa relaxes in Los Angeles and where she goes to get away from the hustle for a little bit. And finally, we talk about fear, fatigue, and failure. How we each deal with all of those and can you fail and keep going? Can you continue to love something even when it continues to get harder? All of this and more in this fantastic roundtable discussion. So grab your safety blanket, drink some green tea, and enjoy our discussion with Alyssa Carter. Take it away, Daniel. 
Thank you, Michael and Daniel. And we are still here with the one, the only, the fantastic Alyssa Carter. Hey! <laughs> What's going on? Oh, not much. You know, trying to stay out of this heat. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. It is terrible. Speaking of heat, this hot piece of chicken next to me. Yeah, that's right. Hot piece of chicken. <laughs> Michael Lutheran. <laughs> are you crispy or are you grilled? Oh, I'm crispy. <laughs> it's it's the, fa- it's the it's the beard. It, it is the beard. At least you're not flaky. Oh, like most people on LA. Oh, I do have to wear sunscreen though on hot days, guys. No joke. No, I'm Me Irish, too. so I'll let you guys talk. Think about that. <laughs> I, I Everyone recently, should wear sunscreen. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I actually recently went to the beach, and it's literally I'll step outside, and I'm already burned. <laughs> like it's literally I'm not even at the beach yet, and I'm already sunburned. Yep. That's how it works for me. Yeah. No, I mean. I go to work and Karen flips out at me that I don't put on sunscreen because my desk is right next to a window. And there's a good portion of the day where the sun's hitting the, the thing and like my skin's being exposed and I forget. So. The best is when you're in your car driving with the window down and your one arm gets tan and the other one doesn't. Let's all look at our left arms right now. <laughs> it's getting there. Uh, it's yeah. getting there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm still white and pale. <laughs> is that... Is that a problem? I've only tanned once in my life, and that's when I worked outside continuously over several weeks for a golf course, and I finally tanned, and it was the greatest moment. Congratulations! Of my life. Thank you. I, I wish I, I had a picture taken just to make, and I have it like framed in my house. Now I think our listeners are really wondering: Did your beard get tan? No. And that has been answered. Um, so, Alyssa, we just we have a few topics. We're just gonna just have a good chat, great, and talk about. Cool. Uh, we're so excited to have you with us to get your opinions on these things. I'm I excited to be here. I think there's some really fun topics. Uh, I think the first one we really want to talk about is the moment where you you stop just thinking about oh, maybe I could be an actress or an actor or a director or whatever you know topic or whatever subject you want to talk about. But when you finally was like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. You know, do you remember the moment or what was the big push for you to go, this is what I want to do uh, for the rest of my life? I think I had several moments of that where I would be, oh, this is what I definitely want to do. And then I would learn something more about that process and then be like, oh no, this this is actually what I want to do and kind of find ways in in myself really where I was like, this is working and this is not working and this mm-hmm. is working and this is not working. So it was a lot of kind of experimenting and um, feeling confident and not feeling confident and going, okay, this this is right for me. Right. Um, so, you know, initially that was acting for me. It was like, oh, I was in high school and... Um, I loved performing and I went to a high school, I think I mentioned this last time, where the theater arts program was really strong and that was the reason I went to that school. And so I knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles and didn't go to a four-year college right out of school because of that, because I was like, no, I'm going to just go be an actress, move to LA and do that. And I was, it was very definitive for me. And then when I got into casting and was learning more about acting in the process, I kind of was realizing, wow, this kind of 
you know, sucks sometimes. <laughs> and, and this is maybe not the kind of lifestyle I want for myself. And for, you know, those people who do it, I commend you because it's not easy. Um, but I was realizing that this, this is not maybe what I thought. And so I started to change my mind about the direction I was going. And, but I knew I wanted to do something entertainment related. So I was like, I know I'm here for a reason and I'm learning and I'm growing. And so starting to go to film school, um, and directing and writing and um, making it a point that I would get picked for my senior thesis, like that was that was kind of a defining moment for me too. And I think I mentioned in in the um, in the podcast we did last last time that I realized that something I had been doing my whole life was directing and leading. Um, and like I like back to like when I was in middle school being picked for like small group projects, like I would take the head and I would assign people roles. And um, even when I was in theater and we had to like put a skit together, I would direct it and I would write the script and give everyone people part, like everyone parts. And, um, and I was doing it all along. And this was when I was like, a, you know, in middle school and, and in high school and not even really aware that I was doing it, but it was just always a skill that I would jump on. Um, so that was very definitive for me, like, oh, wow, I found it. Like, even though I love performing and, and acting, I get so much more out of being a director and a writer and a producer because my hand is in everything. And that feels great. <laughs> and, and there wasn't one particular thing that made you realize, oh, I want to be a director. It's taking that reflect, reflection moment of looking back at yes, all your experiences and absolutely. finding that it was always there. It's, yes. It's, it's the journey. It's that journey from beginning to end, not end, but that moment of this is what it's been leading up to. Yeah. And, you know, my dad would always ask me to, God bless him, uh, that, you know, what's your five-year plan, right? And I and I would be like, I don't know. Like, this kind of industry changes every day. Like, I could book something tomorrow. That totally changes my path. And so I can't tell you what my five-year plan is. It's just to keep you know, for Just like hustling. To not, to not starve. That's my five-year plan. Yes. How, yes. About, how about you, Michael? Oh, man. Uh, there's definitely some key moments, right? Like, kind of like you were saying about theater and performing. I mean, the first time I ever did a show, uh, I was nine years old, and I was playing a tree in a production of Into the Woods. Of course you were. And... But it was that moment of like performing on this large stage for an audience of 300 people. Definitely that moment of just working amongst a giant cast and you have that director that's harangling the entire cast and but able to still work. And it was such a wonderful introduction to it and realizing I love being around this type of people. I was too young to really know what it meant. Yeah. But that sense of, wow, you're... You're so nice, but like we're telling a story that's really engaging and I'm having fun. Good. That and that's important too. And I think I want to touch on what you said too is like being around those types of people mm-hmm. that inspire you and that like you or maybe like challenge you in a positive way. Um, I mean, that's that's the kind of people I like to surround myself with. And it was a big reason why. I had gone to the Art Institute and then was like, mm, this is not it. And then I transferred to Cal State Northridge because I wanted to be with the people who were team oriented. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my peers, sorry, Art Institute, but a lot of my peers were very like self 
self-centered and like this is my project and this is what I'm doing and not Solely a lot of people help. Just on them. Yeah, and like wearing wearing multiple hats, yes, and that might teach you a lot of different ways to do things and how to be a filmmaker on your own, but filmmaking is not a one person game. It's not. It's it's a it's a collaboration and it's teamwork and um, I, I, I find like just in, just like in sports, when you play with people who are better than you, or you, you know, see are more experienced than you in some ways, you become better because Absolutely. you yeah. rise up to that and you meet them at their level or you, or you learn from them and you get there. And so just working with that, ty- those, like you said, working with those types of people, it can be encouraging and, um, you know, a growth well, opportunity. Absolutely. And then that for me was definitely the environment I always try to put myself in. And and I think that's when I knew when like I did my first show, this is what I want to keep on doing. But I also had a similar moment with directing. I directed a full production of Julius Caesar mm. in my final quarter at UC Davis. Wow. And for that process, I asked my best friend, at, uh, Lily Anderson, if she would take uh, go on this journey with me and she wasn't a student at UC Davis but she was there ever since I knew I wanted to direct that play and I also brought in one of my favorite uh, people who played music that I went to high school with and he provided the soundtrack for the show and I just kept asking people who were much better than I was in all of their other fields to come on board and help me. Or at least or at least like a complimentary relationship too, where yeah. like you have strengths that you bring to the table, but they have strengths that they bring to the table. And so it's, like I said, complimentary. And it's a big reason actually why I wanted to work with Joe. He's somebody who has strengths that he brings to the table. And, and then, you know, I would hope that I brought strengths to the table as well to our partnership that really, you know, blossomed. And so that's, I think that's why it's really important when picking a group of people or picking a partner, you're with somebody who um, is a collaborator and is complimentary to your skill set. Yeah, I'd yeah, agree with that, right. Daniel, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, I think we've talked about it before on here. When Michael and I write something together, um, I'm more of a dialogue person. And that's where a lot of my focus goes is on the dialogue when I write a script, just because I don't want it to sound like no one ever says that. No one says that. It, I want it to sound natural, and but still interesting. And Michael is really good at writing description. Like, and I, and I mean that as the biggest compliment because I am awful at writing description. Like, my description is just like, guy walks in, he's wearing a suit. And then it just, like, it just <laughs> keeps going. Straight to the point. Because I, I just don't, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, if I do try to describe something, I don't think it's ever described well where it's like, oh, okay, as interesting as the dialogue. And... When I, you know, when you put a lot of Michael's narration with some of my dialogue and some of his dialogue, it really turns into a, a story. There you go. And it turns into Two a wonderful flow of, of, of words. And um, and so for me to answer the, the, my own question, um, I think I, I'm kind of like both of you guys. There's several, obviously, several steps where you're like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. Yes, this is definitely what I want to do. Yeah. Um, my first thought is when I was doing vacation Bible school at my church. Oh hey. Um, the adults would always put on these um, p- little series of plays at the beginning of each day, and it was a story told over several days, and so they'd have beginnings and like cliffhangers and all oh, this that's stuff. Oh, cute. And uh, usually there's some danger quote unquote that's not dangerous and then you learn something at the end of it and 
I always bothered them about being in it because I was just I was a ham. I loved performing already. Like I always just did whatever I could to be in front of people, making them laugh or whatever. And finally, one of the heads of it like relented and found a show that needed a captain of an airplane that crashed on a desert island. And of course, it makes sense that if it crashed, a kid was probably flying it. So I, I know, right? (laughs) I, I became the captain, and that's like hearing like the other kids laugh at like the jokes and the script that I told and like my first of like having to learn lines and direction and stuff like that it was like th- it was like this is my dream yeah and I was only probably like six or eight That's somewhere great. around there little did we know that Damon Lindelof was in the audience <laughs> and he saw this scene with this boy being <laughs> lost on an island after a player plane crash well I do get mistaken for Greg Grunberg <laughs> quite a bit um but no that was you know that was definitely a big moment and I think the next moment after that was just when like kind of directing was a big moment for me because it let me see a totally different side yeah and i think my favorite part about directing is pushing the actors Mm -hmm. like i love getting an actor to that point like whatever is needed in the script for that moment for that that line and just finding a way to help them break some sort of um not flaw, but a, a thing that, you know, a character uh, habit that they have. And like, okay, you're a really nice guy, but I need you to be a jerk. <laughs> like, you've got to be the worst person in the world right now. Yeah. And you are not. As you, you are not. You are so sweet. <laughs> but I need you not, I need you to punch this guy in the face and hate him. Mm-hmm. And like, I love getting someone to that point. And I, I, I don't want to say breaking them, but, you know, where it's like, there it is. That's it. That's where you can go. You can be that person. I got that a lot from casting too. Um, when uh, I'd be running the room and I had to direct actors who were coming in to audition, um, giving adjustments and stuff was actually my favorite part as well because it was like, okay, what you just did was great. Now try this, you know, and like seeing if they could take the adjustment is really exciting because ultimately a casting director wants you to do well. They want you to nail it. You know, like make our lives easy and get it. You know what I mean? We want to find the person in the first you know, audition so we can just go, okay, day's done. We're good. <laughs> right. I mean, that would be ideal. Right. But I mean, and then and there are a lot of talented people. Um, but, you know, it's, cast, casting directors, you know, they're all subjective of what they are looking for. And so when you can come in and give a solid audition and then take their adjustment, that's, um, that's you know, gold. That, that's the golden moment of like, oh, not only does this person come in prepared with their own material, but they're willing to switch it at a single moment. Yes, and be flexible and, and like hear that there's a different way to portray this role because a lot of people will like, uh, you know, rehearse so, so much that then they, you know, they can't really perform organically anymore. They get stuck in what they, their choice they've mm-hmm. made continuously and they can't yeah. lose that. So I agree. I think it's, I think it's really fun to, to see the transition in actors. Have you guys ever worked with an actor who was very green, like very new uh-huh. to acting? And, yep. Uh, what, too many. Too many? <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, is there a certain thing that you did to help them along their path in, in terms of that role or that acting performance? Um, yes. And again, I'll use the word subjective because it depends on the person and what they need to get there. And a good director recognizes what that actor needs to accomplish the the piece. Mm-hmm. So like if you've got a very green actor, sorry, if you have a very green actor who... Um, you know, hasn't taken a lot of classes or scene study or improv or just any form of 
<laughs> the craft. <laughs> um, the craft. Then it, it becomes a little bit more difficult because you have maybe learned that terminology to help them. And so it's kind of almost like, I hate to use this word, but dumbing down a little bit to like talk to them like a person a little bit more. Um, then it becomes about like, what is the scene about and bringing it back to the basics. And I, I think the greenest person I ever worked with, and I won't reveal their name out of respect, obviously, but they just had the hardest time memorizing their lines. And so they were not in the scene at all. And it was just about, can I get these lines out? And I'm like, well, the performance is terrible. So you've got to remember these lines first. So one step at a time, right? Okay, so let's go over these lines and what these lines mean to help you remember them. Because it's not just lines. It's a dialogue. You're having a a dialogue with someone. So if you're having a conversation with someone, where is this conversation going? And then you can kind of, it's not just memorizing your lines. It's memorizing the other person's lines. It's memorizing the whole story. Yep. As long as you know where the story is going, it's easier to know the lines yes. leading up to it. And if you know what your line is in response to this person's line, what's the trigger of that person's line to help you remember why you're going to say what you're about to say? So like that's, I mean, that's like really green. That That's just like going to memorizing your lines. But you'd be surprised how many people just can't get there. And then they're so focused on memorizing their lines. They're like taking forever to say their line because they're just thinking about it. But they think they're making a dramatic pause and it's like no pick up your goddamn cue or sorry pick up your cue your dramatic pause ended four minutes ago yeah so i mean uh, I, i've seen people too where they do that in their acting reel they just have like such a long dramatic pause and they think that they're acting but it's not engaging at all it's like this is dragging so sometimes they just don't even have a an observation of of themselves or or like acknowledging where they are in the space or where they are in the scene, they're just so caught up in themselves that they're not really seeing the bigger picture. And I think that's also important for an actor to know. I think something green, especially if we want to kind of talk about like things we notice that green actors do and even experienced actors that have issues, um, is in a dramatic scene where there's a really, it's getting to that dramatic moment where the character speaking has to either make like a decision or to make a choice. There's the stop look away, look back at the person they're talking to, look away again, and then they turn and make the choice. The dramatic pause. <laughs> and it's, like, <laughs> it's like an issue I see with a lot of young actors is they cannot keep eye contact. They think it's dramatic and it's interesting to look away mm-hmm. and look back. No, no, stay. Stay in that moment. Stay connected. And let me see you going through those those decisions, those choices in your head, which what you're going to choose, that's more intense because now you have the energy going back and forth between the person instead of you breaking it and looking at the floor. And I think something I mentioned in the podcast last time as well was like I took an improv class and what I really liked about that improv class was that it was organically about reacting. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just about trying to be funny. It was like, what are you doing and how am I responding? Mm-hmm. And that in itself can be humorous. That's absolutely what I used. I had the pleasure of coaching an actor for a film. He was, you know, I was given two weeks and he was going to go and film, be in this World War II epic film with Nicolas Cage. And he was a very green actor. He, Mm. He was so passionate. He wanted to be involved. But there was just some very basic things that he needed to get over. And one of those things was just how to care in an imaginary circumstance. Hmm. This actor, or this character is dying right in front of him, but he knows that, no, this is 
just a normal person. Oh my god! And we're in the, the living. I mean, room the basis of, my house. of acting is pretending, guys. Like it's pretending. <laughs> exactly. And so for me, it was just a couple of those days was just about unleashing that imagination. Ask you know, kind of what you were saying, like bringing it down to just the basic uh, information. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Yeah. And just as a real person, who are you? What do you care about? Who do you love? Yeah. Take that person that you love. Put it in a similar situation. Sure. You know. Whatever works whatever works for them too. Like I mean that's that's the thing. I think I, I worked with somebody um who uh was really having a struggle with some of the dialogue, like how to say his lines. Um and uh and that was that was difficult. You know, sometimes sometimes they're just not getting it. And it's like you you don't want to line read for them either because you want to guide them and and so I, as a director, sometimes I struggle with someone who is already cast and it's like I've got to help you get there mm-hmm. and I know that you understand the character and I know that you understand the scene but how you're saying your line is like the timing isn't working or um you know or just or like the the inflections that you're using are not properly placed or whatever so I mean even that can be difficult when you like you really want to guide them to get there but not give them a line read exactly and, and sometimes it can happen because you maybe you just need to do that for them to realize that I wait for them to ask me mm-hmm. if they're like just tell me how you want me to say it like when they're just like at the point of like just tell me well, how do you want to say it yeah I mean hopefully, hopefully you're not like upsetting them but like I have had a, a situation where they're like oh just just tell me how you want me to say it yeah you know because like I'm not I'm not getting I'm not getting your guiding you know so <laughs> so help me just say the line you well, know see for me I if it's one thing that's not really a line reading but if it's something they're doing then I'm like stop doing that stop Stop putting your hands in front of your face every time you say this line or your hand. You, you don't need your hands. Put your hands down. Well, something something I've done, too, is like I won't repeat the line back. I'll cheat and I'll, I won't repeat the exact line back, mm-hmm. but I'll say it in another way in the way that I want it to be said. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So if the line is get out of my face, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be like change that line and say something like. I don't want you here, mm-hmm. you know, or like, what are you doing? So like, I'll say the line the way I want it to be read, even though it's not the exact dialogue. You say the subtext Correct. of what that line is Correct. trying to say. Yes. In the way that I want him to say it <laughs> or and, her to say it. And one of the things I also did with this young actor is sometimes you have to do exercises and this isn't, you know, you don't have time to do this when you're on set or anything, but when you're working on, you could do this before an audition per se, but you do exercises that engage the actor's body mm-hmm. right like so this guy was he had many scenes where he would have to be swimming in the water and stuff so immediately i we went in a pool and we just started running the lines like not even no emotion just give me the lines while you're swimming while you're physically engaged in doing something else so your focus is not on the line per se but just trying to stay above water and so that allowed his hyper brain in a way to that's intense. Relax I was just thinking I was like thinking about that right now. That's intense. Like if I had lines I had to memorize because I feel like what you were just saying it's another great way to memorize your lines. It's by doing something else and just saying the lines mm-hmm. and then it's not so much well, what you just said. You get out of your head. Yeah. And so you and you, you focus key. yeah. And and for me like with green actors like when it comes to line readings or things like that usually I know you said like not to dumb it you don't dumb it down, but I try to find something in their life that correlates to what they're saying right. at some point. Like, of course. Okay, you know, if it's you're, you're angry at this guy for cheating you, okay, well, let's just say you just you you just caught someone cheating on a test you were giving. How would you approach them mm-hmm. and say 
somewhere around this line to painting them. a picture. Yeah, like yeah. what would you say to them if they, you caught your best friend cheating on your girlfriend? You yeah. know, and, and it's all that lovely all that guiding. Like, yeah, you know, all the different ways you can. I mean, it. And, and again, like I go back to it's subjective because mm-hmm. each person learns differently. They wouldn't have different methods if that weren't the case. And I mean, there's certain people who just don't like to do certain things because it doesn't work for them. And so you do, you find what works for you. And then as a director, it's very important for you, I feel, to communicate with your actors about what can I do to help you on set, um, you know, to, to, to help you, help me, help the project. <laughs> and and some of these issues are things that seasoned actors deal with. Yep. I know for me, I'm taking acting class right now, and it's taken me so long. You get used to saying the line exactly what you think it means right rather than the the, you have the dialogue but how are you reacting to the person Mm -hmm. what is your relationship to the person because you've been rehearsing with yourself this whole time so when you start doing it with someone else it changes and you're like whoa wait what you're not saying it the way i was saying it in my head and then if you're not open to that then you're almost shooting yourself in the foot exactly and you can have certain lines like good heavens how are you today? <laughs> the most actory, the the line that makes you just act by simply putting a little bit of inflection on it. And that's such an easy trap to fall into rather than focusing on what the partner's doing. What are they doing? How do I feel about it? What are their actions? Not their words, but their actions and their observations. What are they doing to me and how do I feel about it? And using my emotions yeah. and using the text to deliver that. Yes. Michael and- Hands. Michael Hans. <laughs> Michael Hans. I also, speaking to that too, I mean, like as an actor going into an audition when they have readers, you know, like, I mean, you could have a terrible reader and how do you stand out when someone is not giving you the energy that you need? And that's something that, at least when I was in casting and I was reading, I always made it a point to perform with them. Um, well, and that's that where coming, being an actress before, helps. you know, working as an actress. Exactly. And then speaking to green, going back to your initial question about working mm. with green people, there's another side of being green that has to do with etiquette. It's not easy being green. It's not. I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was waiting for it. But etiquette is so important too, because it's not so. I think I mentioned this last time as well that like it's not always about, um, you know, the craft and your study. Like you, like there's so many people who are talented and who do take classes and who are seasoned and not amateurs in performing, but. If you walk into a room and you don't know how to be a professional actor as your job, that is something that sticks out as well to a director not really wanting to work with you because you don't understand how to be on a set. Mm -hmm. So I think etiquette is also something that's really important. And that's something that I I hope to um, encourage people with in in coaching as well. Right, absolutely. And I, I think in the long run, it's about you you want to you want them to give the best performance and you don't want to be a jerk about it but you also have to understand like sometimes you kind of have to be a jerk about it to get them more you know in the not not to an extreme but you have to be like okay you're not getting it we we need you to get this you know i think what i'm talking about more is like just just to touch on like the etiquette part what i mean is like when you're coming into an audition room like if there's questions you have about the script what are the right questions to ask do you know where to stand? Do you know how to slate properly? Do you know what questions to ask about the slate so that oh, you don't look yeah, like you're absolutely. an amateur? No, I'm, I was just talking in the sense of working with a green actor in general. Like when or you, or when you're on yeah, set, like do you yeah. know what go? Uh, here's your one, here's your two means. Mm-hmm. Do you know what um, 
Like, do you know to wait for action after the slate? I've worked with so many actors who they start immediately after the slate goes. And it's like, no, you have to wait for action. I swear, like everyone thinks that's like the go. Um, so, I mean, it's just like silly stuff like that where you're like, wow, like, have you been on a set before? And also a big part of the etiquette is also kind of knowing that you're just the actor. There's sometimes hundreds of other people working on that set that day. So don't be a diva. Exactly. Don't be a jerk. Put it away. <laughs> what did Kurt Mega say? Uh, he, well, talking about being an actor, just go in and try to be the solution to whatever yes. problem. Be the easiest that thing. That is to your deal job. With. That is your job. And so many people don't really get that. And it's like, no, you are there to do what the director asks of you. And if you can do that, you're a good actor. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you make everything better all around. You're doing a good job. Yeah, and if you're not sitting there demanding M&Ms in your trailer, then you're not difficult <laughs> to on. work with. Yeah, and I get like, you know, hey, I, I, like, I can't work under these conditions. I understand because it's like, if I'm trying to help you give, you give your best performance, then I will help aid to that. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a jerk about it. <laughs> um, so we're, we're talking a lot about L.A., obviously. Um, you are having so much issues with those chairs. Th this chair, I swear, <laughs> it's just like not working today. It's not even. <laughs> um, but one thing I'm curious about all of us is we, we all chose to come to L.A. Right. But we had options. Mm -hmm. We could have gone to New York, Chicago, uh, London. There, there's other places that we could have gone. I'd love so, to go to London. I could have gone to London? To the West End, Daniel. Uh, West End. I made the wrong choice. Clearly. Uh, but so why L.A. instead of, you know, some of the other markets out there? For me personally? Yeah. I mean, my family's in San Jose, so it's closer. Mm. Um, I've visited New York. I honestly can't see myself living there. I get a little claustrophobic, to be honest. Mm. I've visited, and like after five days, I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> I think the only way I would live there is if I had a position that was holding me there that was, you know, really like, oh my God, I love this job, this so I will go. This is the job. Yeah, exactly. So like if I had a job offer and it's like, you got to move to New York, I'd be like, cool. You know, I'd be about it. We'll give you $1 billion to run our theater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've even considered like Toronto or, mm. um, or even Vancouver. They've got a that's really- That's a big one right now. Yeah, so Such I mean, like that's here. something I've honestly considered. I've been living here 10 years now and I'm like, do I want to continue to live here? Do I want to dip my feet somewhere else? So, I mean, it just kind of depends on where you're at and how much money you have saved up. And, <laughs> you know, if you have the wherewithal to, to make that uh, a feasible living. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, God, London is expensive too so it just depends on like you know what's what's keeping you there mm -hmm. and i think la seemed you know this is you know funny but it seemed like the easiest option <laughs> can we put that that's just now going to be our quote for the show <laughs> la seemed the easiest hollywood, hollywood hustle la just seemed well and i see option. how many people filter in and out from moving here they move mm -hmm. here and then they realize how difficult it is and they move back home and it's yeah. like so i i do i guess pat myself on the back a little bit in the sense that i've stuck it out 10 years and you i did it and i'm not in the same position i was 10 years ago <laughs> so that's something um but i do feel like Everything that I've gone through um, leading up to these 10 years, even still now I'm learning where I want to be. 
Um, and what's working and what's not working. And that place is Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm Maybe. Here, Florida, Miami. Yeah. So, like, I mean. Oh, don't go to Florida. Please don't go to Florida. God, I mean, I, I even was like debating. I would love to move to Austin. Like, Austin mm. was a place I checked out last year. Um, it's a sweet place. And it's great. And they've got, you know, film is building there, but it's not as big as Los Angeles. And so it's like, this is ultimately like what I've learned about Los Angeles is this is where the work is. If you want to be a filmmaker, if you want to be a a serious actor Mm -hmm. um, that's not on Broadway, um, then uh, Los Angeles is it. And like you could go to Texas, you could go to North Carolina. I mean, there's plenty of shows that are shooting in Georgia, Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, that's only temporary mm-hmm. until that show's over. Well, see, I think you kind of hit it right there, which is what I was thinking. If you're looking at, like, Chicago, New York, and London, that's theater. Like, sh- Chicago, London, and, and New York are all theater-based. Like, yeah. there's soap operas in New York that are shot, and you may be able to get a, a music video. Film is technically everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could pursue your film but, career but, but, anywhere. But like you said, the base for film and television is still There are Los not Angeles. as many like vendors in Colorado. Sorry. You're not going to find like a cheap place like Wood and Nickel in Colorado. Sorry. I think if you are in Colorado or such a small market like that, more chances are you're going to create your own opportunity. While you're there, you're going to create, produce your own film, per se, and then you shop that in the film festival markets, and that's the thing that brings you to L.A. or sure. to New York. That's one way. Yeah, exactly. Well, every place that's not Los Angeles film-wise is the minor leagues. Like, that's where you're getting yourself prepared to go into the big studio scene. A cheaper a cheaper route, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it even might be more expensive because it's not so heavily populated with vendors and studios and mm-hmm. actors it might actually even be harder for you um and and more expensive maybe uh so i don't know i mean as far as shooting in locations it mm-hmm. might be cheaper but like the stuff that you need to make a quality film sometimes mm-hmm. can be more difficult yeah it's going to be it, there's a balance there's the yes. it is definitely i think we talked with like kurt in texas you say to a restaurant hey when you're closed one day can i shoot here yeah, that'd be awesome. You're going to shoot a film in my restaurant? Whereas here, that'll be $10,000 a yeah, day. An hour. How many, perm- <laughs> how many permits do you have? And, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's it's great that that's that, that that's there. But then when you need a sound guy, you need a DP, and you need a When you a need gaffer, all of those resources, it's harder. The gaffer's in Fort Worth. The DP is in Plano. The cinematographer is in Austin. And it's just like it's getting, like, you scheduling people in Los Angeles, where everybody lives near Los Angeles, is almost Hard impossible. Hard enough, yeah. Scheduling people that live in cities that are hours away from each other, unless you're a studio show that's filming there, yep. is almost impossible. It is. It really is is very tricky. And, I mean, there are lots of loopholes. There are lots of ways to get around it. I'm not saying that, like, there's only one way. But, um, yeah, it, it can be tricky if, like, you're not creative about it. And you, you have to be careful because, there, like you said with... Austin, there is a ceiling in Texas, and it's where you start doing the same thing. You're just submitting to festivals, small festivals, which is nothing bad. If that's if that makes you happy and that is your passion, keep doing it, man. That's awesome. But if you ever want to have that career yeah. where you're growing and being more recognized, it's here. Like it's I nowhere agree. else. I do. And something that you said really resonated with me was that it's close to home. Yeah, you, you and I are both from Northern California, and so having that closeness and slash distance—it's an hour flight, an hour flight, or a six, seven-hour drive, which I'm about to make 
later this week. Uh, <laughs> what a weird plug, right? <laughs> I'll be making that flight later this week if anybody's willing, wanting to see me on a flight. Exactly, or in my car, looking miserable <laughs> on the five. But no, it's having that chance to still be close to your family. So it's a very sometimes it's all about practical reasons, right? You mm-hmm. just want to be close to your family. Yeah. For me, I had the option to stay in Northern California because the Bay Area has an amazing theater scene. There, There's such great work happening up there. But for me, I always knew I wanted to get into TV and film. And at least, I don't know what the market's like now up there, but there was nothing going on around Vacaville. San Francisco is really expensive to live too, you know? Yeah, really. Depends really on expensive. where you're living. I mean, honestly, if, if I had, if I got a job in San Francisco, I'd probably like live somewhere closer to my family and then commute because it's too expensive Which to live in the city. most people do. They live outside and then take, commute the, in. take the BART. Yep. And there's also something about Los Angeles that did feel like home to me a little bit. And so... Because it's still California. Because it's still California. And so rather than going to New York, uh, I am a dual citizen, so I technically could have gone to London, but... We get it. You're a dual citizen. You know, but there's, there's people... be jealous. <laughs> be jealous. There are people, too, who are, like, sick of where they grew up, and they want a huge change, like moving to New York. You know, like, that would be a huge change for me. But I really like the hills and I like seeing the sky and I like the beaches so um, New York is not really my scene is it fun to visit yes absolutely there's plenty to do there and it's beautiful Um, but would I want to live there I don't know like that's just me and so what I just wanted to address is sometimes sometimes the more practical purposes of why LA might sometimes be another option right it might be closer to family it might be uh, an easier place to live in some ways. Like I, you were talking about how New York is very dense and congested. You definitely need a car to live in Los Angeles. That is you true. don't necessarily need a car to live in New York. You don't need a car, I think, at all. Unless, you're unless you live traveling. out of your yeah, car. Unless you, yeah, <laughs> either to live or to, if you travel a lot away, you know, to different parts of Buffalo and different parts of New York or out of state, you definitely don't need a car. What would you say just... Out of curiosity, because we talk a lot about our favorite things in L.A. Sometimes it's restaurants, sometimes it's theaters. It's usually restaurants. Museums. Usually restaurants. So is there any one particular spot, it could be anything, that is your favorite thing in L.A.? So when I was nannying long ago, I was working for so many different families that like spread across Los Angeles that that was the moment that I really like learned Los Angeles (laughs) and was like, oh, okay, this is Beverly Hills. Oh, okay, this is Mulholland. Okay, this is uh, Topanga Canyon. Like, and this is Glendale and this like, it like everywhere. This is Santa Monica. This is Pacific Palisades. There's a difference. Like, (laughs) so I mean, when I was working with kids, People had their kids all over the place because people live everywhere. So that was really where I learned kind of how to drive around Los Angeles and where the shortcuts are. And um, I I would say that being someone that doesn't have a big house, I really love driving down Beverly Glen mm. um, because all the houses are so pretty to look at. And like you have to be really careful not to get into a car accident because <laughs> you're looking at how big and beautiful these houses are. And they're all so different looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really do love that because it's like, oh, hashtag goals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I always love playing with, if I'm in the car with someone, how much does that house cost? 
Mm-hmm. And like, how much do you think that? Or who lives is? there? <laughs> is what do you think? B B list or A list? Or what? Or what do they do? Because <laughs> how can they afford that house? <laughs> what, what, what do I need to do to get that house? Yeah, so like even like actually driving here today, like I was taking Beverly Glen, nice. and I, it's one of my favorite drives just because it's kind of through a town that I don't live in, nor do I really like want to live this far removed from where everything else I'm doing is. I, I, so the morning traffic there is terrible. No, yeah, like so that's the thing. Like I don't necessarily want to live in that like vicinity, but I would love a house like those. You know, like those houses are beautiful. Um, I'm I, like I live in North Hollywood, close to Burbank, and I work in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, represent. So that's actually the the area that I'm pretty happy with. I love Toluca Lake. Um, that is like a little gem of a of an area. Um, and so you guys just want to fist bump already. <laughs> literally, fist bump. I don't live anywhere near where it, they but live. It was magical. It's literally every five seconds is a what up, yeah, boy. <laughs> like, like you guys aren't seeing it, but. I'm a little left out. People take that area for granted. Um, and yeah, Studio City is like right around the corner. So I, I love being in North Hollywood because Burbank is five minutes away and Studio City is five minutes away and Hollywood's 10 minutes away and um, everything's pretty central. Um, it is the valley, so it does get hot. Um, but yeah, you don't really have to deal with like crazy traffic if you're just like kind of living over there. And um, it's 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 a nice enough area um, that, you know, you don't feel like you're living too much in the ghetto (laughs) well i think you're one of our first guests though to talk about one of their favorite things about la is that experience of driving and you know looking at other places what you do you spend (laughs) you drive (laughs) you spend a good portion of your life down here in your car and so rather use that as a moment of opportunity to enjoy it Mm-hmm. rather than to just sit and tune out. Right. No, and I mean, I remember too, like even like when I'm called, uh, when my call time on a shoot is like at 5 a.m. and I'm driving somewhere and the sun is just coming up and it's there's no traffic on the freeway, it's actually really great because you can actually get somewhere in 20 minutes and you're looking at the skyline and you're looking at where you're going and it's like, this is actually pretty beautiful when it's not covered in smog, you know? I did an overnight shoot once and it was... And I had just done a closing night for a show the night uh, the night previously. So I closed a theater show. Then I went and filmed all night and walked out of the shoot. And it's about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And that's when the sun's just starting to break over L.A. And even though I was tired, it was one of my most favorite moments in this town. Sure. Because just the skyline and the city just looks so beautiful it can be when it's not covered in pollution when we've had a good rain you know like the next day it's a nice gorgeous cleanse. yeah it's a nice cleanse exactly or, or, or rain detox yes in la lingo I, and like i i actually in the building where i work it overlooks the burbank you know mountains and it's beautiful on a clear day and actually when we had this really nice rain it was green it was green it was, it was amazing people and it was amazing yeah so it was nice to, to was see it that. people was it people <laughs> Green people? It was green, so it green as people? Or it was just green actors on the mountains. Oh, God. That keep using their arms and you keep telling them hands. And hands. you circled back <laughs> and to it, green uh, actors. It all comes back. Um, so speaking of L.A. and self, um, one of the hardest things about the hustle is staying on it. Mm-hmm. Like you get depressed. You get annoyed. You get frustrated. Too hard. You get uh, uh, stressed. So many things can happen. And so... I, Michael and I kind of came up with I think, like the three biggest things that kind of can sway you uh, 
uh, from your hustle or from what you want in your dream. So I thought we'd kind of take each one and kind of just talk about how we uh, get over that obstacle. What, sure. what do you do to, you know, fix that moment or, you know, do you take time? Do you give yourself a new space? You know, what do you do? So I think the first one is fatigue. You get exhausted from working so hard and maybe only getting, you know, the one step forward, 30 steps back sometimes. How do you regain your momentum? How do you awaken the love and the spirit again? I think fatigue for me looks like something becoming tedious, Mm -hmm. Um, doing something that takes a long time that I don't want to sit through. Like sometimes for me, that's editing. (laughs) Um, So I, I work fine when I'm tired. Like that's not something I really struggle with so much um as i do like something becomes tedious and i'm tired of working on something that's taking so long mm-hmm. and for me that's like i said is editing so um i think what i have to do is kind of like what i was saying with directing is breaking it down to basics like what's my first step just take the first step and figure that and like figure that out and then once that's done what's the next step so instead of looking at it like this is a huge this is a huge intimidating process i'm looking at it more like step one step two step three step four and one at a time instead of like oh i've got 20 steps to get through i go okay what's step one and just focus on that until it's done and then once that's done then i can accomplish two because i feel good when i can cross things off my list so if i have a list of 20 things that i've got to do whether that be an editing project or just a number of things that have to get done for my hustle if I just go, if I just number it and I go, what's the first thing I can do? What's like, do I want to do the easy things first or do I want to do the hard things first? And like kind of gauge like what is my mood and what is my, um, you know, my energy like for this. And so if I can just whittle down the clutter, that makes me ultimately feel good because I can see myself getting the work done and that kind of lifts my spirits a little bit. Um, and when you're editing a project too, it's really not that difficult it's just i do i look at it like the project needs to be done as a whole instead of like okay first i have to assemble first i need to organize the files then i need to like go through the footage and then i need to pick the best takes you know and once i just kind of like plan it out and make it one step at a time that helps me Absolutely. so yeah so for me it's more just like what do i have to do what's the first step right how about you michael Fatigue is, as an actor in this town, it's very easy uh, to have happen. And I think, you know, you were talking about the tedious things. Mm-hmm. That's definitely, for me, sometimes it, it builds up, right? Like there's those casting audition notices that just fill your inbox. And if you don't clear through those, it like at the end of the day, maybe you don't forget to check your email for a couple of days. Next thing you know, you have 200, 300 casting calls to go through you know what i want to speak on that too because a lot of it also has to do with time management Mm -hmm. so fatigue you can avoid that's something you can control like hey do i want to take a nap now like hey do i want to say yes to this person when i should be saying no with my time you know what i mean like it's it's time management it's priorities it's um what can you do now or what can you do later and figuring that out so that you're not exhausted that's key that's key because it's just taking those moments of like at this time during the day even if if it's early in the morning i'm gonna go through and check out all these emails and it's changing the switch a little bit rather Mm -hmm. than being oh man i have to go through all of these casting notices oh man i have to go through all of these casting notices that do not fit me Mm -hmm. 
And that can There's, be discouraging. And, and it can be discouraging because you see, you know, with, you know, casting requirement and like actors six foot tall, you know, uh, ripped or whatever, and you might not be those things. But at the same time, each one of those is an opportunity. And you never know yeah. just by submitting yeah. to one could change your course. And touching on that as well uh, is, um, do you love it? Asking yourself, like, do you love it? Because if the, if the hard work you actually enjoy, then you have drive mm-hmm. to get it done and to and to continue the hustle, which is was your question, right? Like, how mm-hmm. do you continue the hustle? Mm-hmm. Do you love it? And if you're not loving it, why are you doing it? And that's a big important question, right? And I think it obviously if you you're down here and you're working hard, you do love it. But sometimes you just need to tap into that. So whether that's just taking a moment to just sit back and meditate and think about all the reasons why you love it, what mm-hmm. it, it or if it's writing it down. Yeah. Um, and just getting over this hump. Yes. And then I can get to where I want to be. And going with time management, I think for me, how I, uh, how I get through it is I reach out to other people. I reach out to my support group. So yeah, you know, Daniel is a big one for me. Like... I'll tell him like, Daniel, I'm really stressing out. He'll ask, what are you stressing out about? And I, that's exactly how I ask it. And I'll go on and on like 20 things like you were saying. I have all these 20 things that I need to do. And I feel like I need to get them all done yesterday. Mm -hmm. And in reality, you're not going to get them all done right now. So it's about, okay, what's the most important? Priority, yes. Priority. What, if it's not, what can you get done in this day? What can you get done in this week? Yeah. Because... We all have daily How can jobs. I make this less intimidating, yes. you know? And we all have daily jobs, right? I have a full-time job. So there's going to be certain things that I can't accomplish six goals in one day. Yeah. But what can I do? What can I do? What can I work towards? I think something that also scares people uh, with the hustle too is just like change. Is like, well, if I actually do this, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, how is my life going to change? How is this going to affect me? And I think a lot of people get discouraged by that alone. Just like the the thought of, of like actually having to take on more responsibility. And I hate to be blunt, but those are the people who are not going to make it. Because if if responsibility intimidates you, mm-hmm. then then you're not gonna get very far. No, absolutely. I, I think the, the biggest thing for me with like especially with fatigue, um, I usually deal with it like, you know, like Michael said, like I'll ask him, you know, how, what, what are you stressed about? Like, how, what do you think is the best way to fix that? That's a good time for me to get a nap. A lot of times while he's telling me why he's stressed. Um, that, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a just big setup for a, a very mediocre joke. Take a nap. <laughs> take a nap. Um, I can't take naps. So that's a thing I fight with. Not I, even like a I 20 am, minute? Unless I am, I'm talking, I have to be dead tired. Like, mm. been up all night tired to take a nap. If I f- take a nap, I usually wake up feeling worse. I fall asleep to the office. I'll oh, turn nice. on the office and then Law I'll fall order. That's yeah. why. But I, f- I wake up feeling worse. The I voice wake of up Steve feeling- Carell just, you know, puts me to sleep. <laughs> it's, it's very soothing. In, in all the best ways. <laughs> um, I usually wake up more tired. I wake up cranky. And I wake up feeling like I completely wasted part of my day and i don't know why it's just i've never been a nap person i have nothing against people that take naps i I wish i could it's not for everybody yeah i wish i could take a nap wake up and go man that was great and let's go you know it's this (laughs) i wish i woke up that way too (laughs) but uh (laughs) but i think one of the things i think you you mentioned earlier Alyssa, is stepping away like take a moment you know what 
I don't have to do that today. I'm going to just sit down and watch some TV. I'm going to, or I'm going to listen That's to a podcast. That's called rebooting, yeah, you know? Yeah, I'm going to listen to a podcast, preferably Hollywood Hustle, and I'm, you know, and just relax for a moment, give myself a break. Yeah. And then tomorrow I'll hit it harder. You know yes. what I mean? And just giving yourself a chance to breathe. And because part, I think yeah, that's the biggest part of fatigue is not, you don't get to breathe. Part of time management is finding time for yourself. And I to add to that, sleep and doing things that help you get healthy, like working out. Mm-hmm. Those are so key because I notice when I get stressed, the moments that I feel like everything's caving in on me, it's normally because of one of two things. Because I'm either not getting enough sleep or You're I'm not getting enough endorphins. Or I'm not getting enough endorphins from working out or even just getting outside, getting out of my normal day-to-day grind. Well, you mm-hmm. can also run the stress off. Yes. If you if you're stressed about something, what's go, your release? Yeah, you know? go go run, go hit a, a, a you know a punching bag, go do something that or Daniel, just yeah, punch Daniel. I, I know <laughs> if it helps you, man, I'll do it. Just make sure you leave a review on iTunes app. <laughs> how was your punching answer. experience? How was your punch? Would you rate it a five? Would you rate it a four? Um, but I think that's. I wanted to go and hit him, but his beard stopped me and then punched me. <laughs> ah, you've been tricked. Um, my, my, my fist disappeared into his beard like a portal. Um, but no, that's, that's the yes, that's the biggest thing for me. I think one of the biggest issues I have a lot of times, and I know Michael and I have kind of talked about it, is like losing the faith, and like. You where, can't. You yeah. can't lose the faith. Don't lose the faith. Hey, you gotta keep faith. The faith. The faith. Yep. Ooh, nice. nice. It's oh. the truth. It's good. It's like he was right here. Yes. Um, well, and I, here's something I want to say to that too, to all my spiritual friends out there, <laughs> is that the minute you start doubting yourself, then that's what you're gonna receive. Like the minute you start seeing yourself in a negative light, that's mm-hmm. what you're gonna receive. You're gonna receive the negative. You're not going to get to where you want because you're focusing on the absence of not having it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like that's that's like key is to re- remain positive and to not be so focused on when and when and when, but mm-hmm. just doing it and staying present. I think what's interesting, kind of, just through this discussion, is seeing almost that fatigue and doubt or feeling like you you do, you don't want to do this anymore is all it's all connected, right? Because you get to a point where you're tired, you're stressed. You don't know which way is up or down. And then when you finally do cross that finish line, yeah. it's like that balance of like, oh, oh now this, this feels fun. so good uh, because this felt like so much crap, yeah. you know? But, but even like those simple things we talked about to help fatigue, getting sleep, working out, finding a stress reliever, taking a moment to yourself, going and getting a massage, like doing something for you. I think that will completely change your view. Like, okay, it changes maybe your mood. I can do this. It brings that yeah. confidence back. Yes. You're not exhausted. You can th- actually think logically again. And you can go, you know what? And I'm feel ready. better about Let's yourself. Do it. You can walk yes. outside, listen to put on that, you know, victory song and go, I'm going to make this happen. I have the you tiger, know? baby. Yeah, right. And it's just thinking about that, how it's all, it really is all intertwined mm-hmm. with doubt and fatigue can almost be, you know, one causes the other. Yeah, you're not going to move into this town and automatically, every single day, you're getting things done. We're going to win so much, we're going to be so tired of winning, guys. <laughs> it's but- not possible. No, I mean, it's, it. yeah, it's like you said, the balance. Mm-hmm. Well, and kind of what you were just talking about, Alyssa, it's so easy to invite that negativity in a way, and to put it in actor terms, focus on your partner whether that's your career focusing on your other creative people in your life focusing Who on hold you accountable a, a, too focusing on a project like if you're f- filled with doubt and worry pour that into 
make that into positive energy and put that into work, Mm -hmm. right? Like go out and film a scene, Mm -hmm. go out and write a play or write a song Mm -hmm. or something like that. Nike, just do it. Take that negative energy and put it into something that gives you distance from it, but also creatively fuels you at the same time. I think what also also, um, deters people is thinking that there's only one way to do something. And when that one way is not working, they're discouraged. It's like, okay, well, that's a great opportunity to look at yourself and go, this is not working. What can I do to make it work? Mm -hmm. And get creative. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, even taking it a step back where it's like, yeah, you go write a play. It's great. But if it's something simpler, go to something that will inspire you. Yes. Go to a actor meetup or an actor tweet up. Go to people. go to the, you know, WGA, uh, WGA seminar. Go to whatever. If you, you want to be an actor, go find other actors that you can hang out and discuss the craft with because that always inspires me. Talking to other people about what they're doing and, being, you know, going, okay, I need to get my foot on the pedal and get going because these are people doing some great stuff and I know I can do that too. I just haven't like that will inspire you. That fuels you as well. Other yeah. people's creativity and inspirations yeah. can inspire you. You know, what works for me and this sounds so bad, but whenever I see like a peer of mine this is, this is doing really well, I'm like, Oh man, like I got to step up my game, you right. know? Yep. And that goes back to like playing sports, like working with people and peers who are doing this, the stuff that you want to be doing and mm-hmm. where you want to be and not necessarily copying them, but just like what, what your goal is and seeing them reach their goal. You're like, Oh man, like, Good for that person. I want to be there too. And the difference usually is they're working. They're doing. They're working harder to get it done in a lot of ways sometimes. And finding those paths where if you really look at yourself, sometimes you're like, maybe am I am I doing enough to get there? You know. And I almost want to like comment on the working harder thing. Sometimes it's not so much working harder as it is just doing it. Like well, it doesn't. That's, that's what, that's it's not what, so much what, hard work as it is just doing. Well, that's the what work. I mean by working hard. They're going out and getting it done, whereas maybe you're taking a seat back a little too much than actually getting out and going and doing whatever. And you and need it's done. hard not. I will comment too on like it's hard not to compare yourself to other people. It is important to also realize I am where I am, mm-hmm. and I. But in knowing that you're still progressing and moving yeah. forward, yeah. so like. Okay, so this person has reached a goal of theirs and I'm on my way to that goal and I'm not to that goal yet, but at least like I'm st- I'm motivated by that person as long as to it get keeps there. You moving. Yes. Yeah. And it's not like a negative, oh, I'm comparing myself, I'm discouraged. It should be I'm encouraged, I'm inspired to keep moving and going. And so touching on that, so often you can feel like a failure mm-hmm. at times. You can go to the audition and not book the part. You can Uh, write a script and work hard to get it produced and it doesn't happen right away Uh, so let's open up a little bit about failure quote unquote is that a real thing how do you deal with that Um, I know we were just talking about it obviously seeing someone else's success can make you feel that way and that's what you're making it mean too I mean so like I mean uh, again this the word subjective comes up because everyone's got their own goals um but so for so for me specifically i feel like i have failed when as a producer let's say uh on set my team isn't happy or like something is is going wrong and i'm not able to fix it or um you know like the the team is unhappy because my my thing as a producer is i want to run a a healthy set and i want to run a set where people are all happy to be working and collaborating with each other and it's not like oh let's just get this day over with you know i i like to have 
a fun set. I like to hire people that I like to work with. And if, you know, and I like to make sure there's good food. <laughs> That's always the real important part. People happy, I'm telling you. Well, people will work harder and be more committed to the thing if they're just fed, fed well. well. And, and fed well does not mean uh, Caesar's pizza. Or, you know, cheap food like yeah. that. Yeah. And, oh, no, I never have pizza on set. So um, so for me, having a good set is really important to me. If someone walks off the set and says that was a cluster a cluster F-bomb or a, a, a shite show, mm-hmm. then, like, I feel like I failed as a producer. Another way I feel like I failed is when the project is done and, like, we didn't get the shots we needed or the shots don't look good or they're out of focus and we didn't notice these things on set. Um, and we don't have enough money to go do pickups. Um, or uh, the, the, the film is done and it's just not getting the reception that I had hoped or something like that. I feel, I feel like I failed because I'm not happy with the finished piece that I just put my heart and soul into. I may be proud of what we accomplished, but I'm not necessarily happy with the final product. Um, and so that is something as a creator of any kind for any person I feel struggles with that where they just don't feel like what they created is enough and people all around could be like oh my god this is so great and you're like no because this was a mess up and no this could have been better Mm -hmm. and blah 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 so like you know self-criticism can really really take its toll um, on someone who you know is a perfectionist or just really wants to make it right Mm -hmm. in their mind and their vision um so that that's where i will feel like i've failed um and it's more like failing myself Mm -hmm. um the producing side i feel like i've failed my team by you know not making it a pleasant experience so those are like the two that like really show up often for me you guys playing handsy i'm trying to keep the the armrest from getting trapped under each other here (laughs) (laughs) um so so for me that personally that's what failure is um but that being said you take that experience and you take that end product and you go, what can I do better next time? Mm-hmm. What did I learn from this experience that I can you know, work on or change? Or it goes back to what's working, what's not working. Mm-hmm. That's always the question I'm asking myself because there is no right way. Right. There is no mm-hmm. one way. Right. Um, and granted, you know, there is you know, not great food. So, you know, you get, you're like, that's not the right food. Like, no, you should not have pizza on set. Come on, guys. Like, that's just like cheap. So, you know, you just observe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Failure is more about like observing and like, you know, I go to Thomas Edison, right? Like he had the light bulb a hundred t- tries before he finally made the light bulb mm-hmm. work or something. Um, and he never said he failed a hundred times. He said that he learned what not to do a hundred times. Mm -hmm. And that's just as effective because it's ultimately helping you get to where you want to be. And I think people get frustrated because they're not there yet, Mm -hmm. but it's like celebrate what didn't work because Mm -hmm. now you know. Mm -hmm. And there are, I will say there are (laughs) plenty of people I know who don't do well and then don't learn from it and make the same mistakes and it's like well they'll keep making that mistake until they get it right well i think one of the biggest things i think you have to look at and i think i've talked about this on another episode before that there's a difference between failing and being a failure Mm -hmm. where i feel like a failure is a permanent look at who you are as a person when you say failure 
that is that is putting something on you as a person. You are a failure. Mm. Failing is different. If you fail at something, then to me, it's temporary. That's where you get to learn. Temporary is the is never the key say word. you're a failure ever because you are out here doing what you love, trying to achieve a dream that millions of other people have wanted to do and have not taken the steps to do that. And there's plenty of people too who judge other people's success by saying like, "Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm a successful whatever, so and so, CEO of this, blah blah blah, and I'm making lots and lots of money. You're just living in a, you know, a complacent suburban life and you just have your 9 to 5 and you don't do anything else." maybe they're happy with that choice. Mm -hmm. And so who are you to say they're a failure just because you have placed yourself above them or placed, or maybe you're in that suburban lifestyle or, or um, in an apartment still right. and, mm -hmm. and there's people who are above you. How do you know they're happy with the job that they have? So like, mm -hmm. it again, I bring up sub subjective because like, there's just so many... And I think that's just key to remembering is that like everyone's story is different mm -hmm. and you can't compare yourself and you can't judge other people because mm -hmm. you don't know. You can assume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if, if it helps you get through your day, mm -hmm. fine. But that's not fair to put that right. on someone well, else. I think you said it best. It, learn, learning from whatever doesn't go well. If, if you write a script and it doesn't, if you, if you put on a play and it doesn't do well, well, look at it and what can you do better ne on the next script? What didn't work about that? Mm -hmm. Was it the topic? Was it something people were interested in? Yeah. Was it the dialogue? Was it the direction? What what didn't work? How can you make it better? And what I know that can be frustrating. Oh, because absolutely. people are like, God, you know, I put so much effort into this and mm -hmm. it's still not where I mm -hmm. want it to be. Right. So I, I can get why you feel, mm -hmm. you feel like calling yourself a failure. Right. Um, but ultimately... It's about the journey. It's it not about that. Is not the end all be all. To quote Miley Cyrus, "It's the climb." Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, folks. <laughs> this, this whole podcast. I is just over. had to throw her in there. <laughs> well, something that you were also touching on. I know I sometimes feel this way. It, it's so easy for decisions that are outside of your own control to make you feel that way that you're failing. Like, oh, because I didn't. I wasn't the thing that that casting director was looking for. I feel like a failure. Yeah. And that's out and, of your control. And that's out of your control. There's so many decisions that go into decisions like that, that go into perhaps a mistake happening on set that you didn't oversee, that you couldn't have controlled in that situation necessarily, that don't take that on yourself. There's so many things that you that require your attention that for, at least for myself, to think that, oh, these are all the reasons why I'm a failure when I have no part of the casting decision process. Yeah, I just think calling yourself a failure in general is just wrong. Like, it's mm -hmm. not, there's no accuracy in that. Like, it's all you telling yourself that. And we were talking before we started recording about how so much about failing is about learning and how so much, it's great to fail at times because you, like we were saying, you find ways to not do that, but... You learn, you you grow through through it. Um, so much in acting classes, like fail big, because you'll. Only... And that has a positive connotation. That's yeah. that's really what it is. It's like stop taking the word failure or failing and making it negative, and then maybe <laughs> you'll be happier. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I totally agree. Well, that was awesome. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end it there. Um, Alyssa, do you have anything coming up around August and September-ish areas? 
Um, just uh, still doing cast and reels. Cast and reels. Go to the website. It's awesome. Brought to uh, you by Squarespace. I'm also coaching um, and helping actors with etiquette, like we were talking about, because I feel like the professional actor is the one that's going to book. Um, and so um, that's something I'm doing as well. Uh, what else? Um, I, speaking of time management and taking time for yourself, like I've definitely been doing a little bit of that myself this nice. year. Um, so I think that's, that's important, you know, remember who your friends are. <laughs> and remember to, you know, call them every once in a while and say, yeah, Hey, what and, are you and, up to? And see them too. Yeah. They remind be, you of your worth. And be interested in what they're doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Be interested in what they're involved in. Uh, where can people find you? Can they, are, are you on Twitter, Instagram? I'm on Instagram with cast and reels. Yeah. I'm also on Instagram at team Firestick. That's Ooh. how it sounds. <laughs> um, that's my personal one. Nice. So if you want to cast and reels cast all and one, all one a n d cast mm-hmm. and reels absolutely r e e l s we're following her mm-hmm. hey hey yeah so um that's something that i'm still doing i find it very fun it's like it's like mini filmmaking and working with actors absolutely so. and it's and and it's like i said in the last episode the website is great and Thank you. i love how and as we talked about in the last episode i love how it's organized and what you guys do and making personable experiences for each person that comes to you guys for yeah. for reels and things like that. I think that's important. You know, mm-hmm. more people should have that in their reel because it is showcasing them, right? Mm-hmm. So let's make it about you. And it's castandreels.com, correct? Castandreels.com. There's actually no www. It's just mm, castandreels.com. And then, uh, yes, so that's that's the best way to reach me. You can literally contact me through that mm. page, um, and I get the emails. So She gets the emails, folks. Not me. a secretary. No, she not does. my assistant. <laughs> not her my, assistant. My invisible assistant. <laughs> her visible, <laughs> it's like the invisible airplane. I am my assistant. I am a, meet my assistant, me. Yep, <laughs> nice exactly. to meet you. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Yeah, Lovely guys, thanks so you. much for having me. This was a blast just chatting. Right? It's always just nice just to talk about the business. And, and then I leave it. here feeling inspired, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, man, like I'm going to go and do more things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm do things cool. I'm going to write a screenplay tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but before we leave, uh, as my usual spiel goes, after Friendster and before Facebook, there was a little place called MySpace. Oh my goodness. Where it took forever for someone's page to load because they had beautiful music and a thousand quotes by some person no one's ever heard of. Most likely wrong that that person ever said. But I found a wonderful quiz that used to be on MySpace that were just quizzes that really meant nothing. The questions were tedious. Just for fun. Just for fun. And literally, you just telling Picks yourself about you in a lot of ways. So you picked six numbers. I did. That you have no clue what correlation they have oh, in, this, no. in this quiz. Oh, great. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you six questions from the MySpace quiz. Oh, I see. Okay, got <clears> it. All right. The first question. Are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> well, here we go anyways. <laughs> Do you want any pets? I have a cat, and I would really like to move out of my apartment at some point to get a house so that I can have a dog. Oh, nice. What would you name your dog? Well, I think that that depends on the kind of dog that I get. Hmm. Um, is that another question? What no, no, just, no, no, no. Then I don't have to just, answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we're playing it. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite website to visit? My favorite website to visit? Ooh. Um, as a filmmaker, I do like to frequent Vimeo and kind of check out the staff picks. Oh, nice. What was the first uh, sport you joined? Sport yeah. that I joined volleyball. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! What may, what mass? What position you played? Uh, I play setter, and middle back is my strong strong suit. Oh, yeah. nice! 
Is it cute when a boy calls you baby? No. It makes me want to throw up in my mouth. <laughs> makes me want to punch them in the it face. It makes me think that you're calling me that because you call all your girls that. I, 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 one person told me they hated being called babe because they always said, I'm not a pig. <laughs> oh, ha, ha, ha. And so she hated being called I just babe. hate babe because I feel like it's overused. And it's like, babe, yeah, babe. Like, I make fun of people who say that, <laughs> honest to God. Have you ever learned? Sorry. No worries. Have you ever learned another language? Uh, Spanish in high school, a little bit of French, and I know some Hungarian because of my mother and my grandmother. Ooh, can you can you say something in Hungarian? I can sing you a song in Hungarian. <gasps> oh, this is a Hollywood Hustle first, folks. <laughs> this is the only Hungarian song I know. Hungarian this Hollywood may be the only Hustle. part. <laughs> shout out to my grandmother. Oh, shout out to your grandmother. Um, okay, so who taught me this song? Are you ready? Yes, I'm going to yes. embarrass the crap out of myself right now, but here we go. This is podcast gold. All right. Volomigorege forte shokamles. Hoginegem gönder hoyu babamles. Gönder rohaya karchu adirka megalening meruaste morkaya. Now, what, what did you just say? <laughs> I think I just said something about a guy who really loves this woman and he thinks she's so beautiful that he wants to touch her face, but um, alas, she's walking away and he can't. <laughs> that, is the, that, is, that is the great thing of translating other languages because in, in, in the basic, it's always like weird awkwardness. Like, I love <laughs> yeah. you so much, I touch your face. I want to touch your face, but I can't because you're I, walking you're away. You're walking away right now. And it's not so much something better like in the natural that. language. All right, last question. Okay. Here it is. Have you, Alyssa Carter, oh, no. ever smoked a cigar? A cigar? I thought you were just going to say smoked. Nope. I threw um, a curveball there at the end there. I have never smoked a cigar, but I will say that like those thin cigars that kind of smell like cinnamon. Oh, the cigarillos? Is that what they're called? Yep, they're called cigarillos. I'm so naive. <laughs> um, but they smell really good. And I would be down to maybe try that one day. Here's the thing. I will answer the, the question I thought you were going to ask, which has you ever smoked a cigarette? Yeah. I smoked a cigarette once when I was 19 at a party. I woke up, smelled my hair, and said, never doing that again. <laughs> well, I highly suggest if you do smoke a cigarillo, get a rum-dipped cigarillo because it has a sweetness to it i didn't like smoking just because of the singing mm-hmm. and like i really feel the smoke in my throat and oh, like, absolutely it just burns right. so i typically stay away from smoking mm-hmm. um but I, smoke I will try a cigar just for you yeah. okay i used to smoke cig- cigarillos socially like at parties and stuff like that and then i stopped after a while because i was like this is definitely not good for your throat <laughs> I'm wheezing. <laughs> I promise smoking, I can finish the scene. Smoking kills, guys. I'm not endorsing this. No, no. But we will endorse Squarespace, where you can make We will endorse website. Squarespace, because you helped me make my awesome website. Well, thank you again, Alyssa. It's thank been you guys. so fantastic to talk to you. I hope you'll come back again sometime, and we'll talk more about cast and reels and Let's what do you're it. up to. I think it's going to be great. Let's do it. I'll come back in an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, in an hour. Thank you. Thank you so much. And back to you, Daniel and Michael, in the studio. Well, that was an amazing discussion. Welcome back, everyone. So let's talk about Act Two with Alyssa Carter. We really got into some interesting things that, as an actor, I love talking about. So one of those being an actor's role on set. It is so easy to, especially because so much of your time in Los Angeles is building up to an opportunity, right? You're always working and training so that when an audition comes your way, you can book the room but then you actually have to do the work. And when you get on set, 
you quickly realize how small of a role you actually play in this overall production. Of course, you might have a leading role in the story, but when it comes to the actual stages of production, an actor's job is to go in and do the work, know your lines, know your intentions, know what it is that you're gonna do in your performance because you've got a crew of anywhere from, you know, over 10 people to hundreds of people waiting on you to do your job. And it's all about being ready and being available and just going and doing your job and knowing your place in the pecking order of things. There's the directors, there's the producers, they have a lot of stuff going on. So you need to be able to be okay with there being long periods of time in which no one's talking to you. They're setting up the shot. Don't let that affect your performance or affect your game as it were just it's all stages of the production uh one of the other things that i love that came up in this conversation was the idea of fear fatigue and failure the three f's we kind of touched on this in our recent team hustle episode but it was it was great to really just dive back in especially with a guest who has felt those things that is it okay to fail and what do you do if you don't love the quote unquote passion anymore, you've lost that passion. And I think as artists, that can sometimes be a daily struggle. Uh, I know it's something I've been going through a lot lately of, you know, you're doing your day-to-day job to help support you financially so that you can actually go and take classes and things like that. And I think it's important to recognize that Sure, my day-to-day job, I'm not working on set every day. I want to get to that point. But it is important to be financially stable, especially in Los Angeles where the rent and cost of living is so high. And to know that even though I might not be working on set now, the work that I'm doing at this day job is going towards that. It is going towards that dream. So to not feel bad about that. And on the discussion of is it okay to fail, Absolutely. I don't think you advance. I don't think you as an artist grow unless you dare to fail. You, so much of the discoveries that will help you grow as an artist, I think you find in those moments of failure. It's when you're, when you miss an entrance during a theater production, you hear the actors on stage improvising until you enter. Sure, that's not going to feel good in the moment, but rather that you get that experience then than when you're performing on Broadway and that happens. It's it's an experience to grow and to learn from. Uh, You might go up on a line knowing how to improvise and how to continue the story and not let that one line mess up and stop the entire production. That's an important thing as well. And, but even so much more, there can be things don't go as you planned on set. Maybe, uh, lighting wasn't available so you have to improvise lighting sources or things of that nature and it's all about I think you might fail in that moment but you're gonna grow on the other side of that and I think that's just something you have to get used to as an artist is things aren't always gonna go the way you planned that you you can never you can only prep so much for the journey you're never gonna see what the destination or what the final result is until you get there and i think those things that challenge us along the way makes that art better and that's why i got into class again i realized that 
my art was starting to feel stale. I, I was so scared of failing that I needed to put myself into an environment where it was okay to fail. It, it's a safe space. It's a safe environment in which I can go and try new things and be not terrible, I think, but to be called out on certain things. And I think we need that. We need to be constantly creatively challenged in a positive and safe way. And and so I think absolutely it's okay to fail. But and in terms of fatigue or that and that sense of failure, I think it's all about making sure that you're living a balanced life. You can't be full on 100% going in that art. It whether you're an actor or a writer, you need the life experiences to draw from. So for me recently, I've been going out of town because one of my best friends was getting married. Could have I, could I have told him, sorry, buddy, I got to stay in LA because an audition might come up or something. I, some people do do that, and that is a sacrifice and shows their commitment. But I think it's also important that as artists, we're people as well. And we have other relationships that connect us to the rest of the world. Uh, it, it, it's so easy to become tunnel vision down here. And I think that's when the fatigue starts to set in is that when you're so focused on this one thing, on this one goal, that you're not taking in the rest of the world around you, you can feel that sense of fatigue because you're just constantly going for one thing rather than maybe living what could be considered a fuller life or maybe more balanced life. Uh, making sure that you're also getting sleep and eating properly and you know, exercising as well. I, I think those will also help with the physical uh, and mental fatigue sometimes, but it does get hard. You go, you might go through months, you know, maybe years without booking work. And I think that's why it's a good thing for you to become creatively involved in something like this podcast. Daniel reached out to me and asked, would I be willing to work with him on this? And I said, of course, I, because I, I could be waiting around, waiting for shows or whatever to come on my lap, but I, I have to work to get those opportunities. This is something that I can be creatively involved with, working with someone that I know very well and that I'm only going to grow from this type of experience. And I think, so if you're feeling fatigued, maybe it's because you're constantly hustling towards the wrong thing. Maybe you need to start listening to the people that are around you who are also working towards the same goal that you are, but why not help each other out? You know, rather than doing a, a one person show, why not put on an ensemble piece that showcases all of you and your best abilities? Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting idea and I'd love to hear from you listeners if, what are your strategies of how you deal with the the day-to-day -day life of being an artist. How do you feel when that fatigue or, you know, that voice in the back of your head starts saying, oh, you're not doing it yet. You're not doing it. We'd love to hear about what your strategies are. Because I know for quite a few, that's the moment where they push even deeper into the work and amazing things come out of that. So please send us your thoughts, Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to read them here on the podcast and talk about 
them in uh, future episodes. So there's also other ways to interact with us online as well. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast and on Twitter at LA Hustle Cast. So lots of ways to engage with us and have this discussion about fear, fatigue, and failure and how to recharge as an artist. Now, Coming up next week, we are sitting down with another casting director, Jazz Trice, but he is a casting director for Unscripted Television. So this is more of the reality-based series. And I think it's going to be a great conversation. I've known Jazz for a long time. Uh, He was actually my first roommate when I moved down here to Los Angeles. So I'm excited for you to hear those stories uh, as Daniel sits down with Jazz to talk about his journey into casting, acting, theater, writing, and so much more. Remember to uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. And until then, everyone, always remember, keep up the hustle. This episode was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and made possible by our producers Michael Lutheran and Katra Parkman, as well as our sound engineer, Kel Torados. For more information, please visit our website at www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.